You probably aren't accustomed to receiving your investment advice from a pastor, especially when you're expecting a a Christmas sermon. And I don't like to brag about what an astute investor I am, but I have to share at least one example with you this morning. One that I was pretty sure a number of years ago was going to be a a big winner. Now, some of you youngsters here may not be familiar with a little company called Blockbuster. Let me tell you about it. Before the days of streaming, you actually, if you wanted to watch a movie, had to go to a store, a place that had the movies physically on shelves. And I'm sorry, kids, but you will never know the joy of a new release being there, taking up a whole shelf and being able to grab the last one that had just come out. That was all, of course, before this thing called streaming became kind of the the norm. But even between there, there was a little window before we jumped right from the rental places to streaming. You could actually put on your computer a list, a queue of movies you wanted, and this new company, Netflix, would mail you a DVD. So you could get it delivered right to you. How convenient. You don't even have to go to the rental place. Well, here's where the investment part comes in. Everybody else saw Blockbuster stock going down because of this new upstart Netflix and other outfits like Redbox that that made it easier than having to go to a, a store. And I thought to myself, here's what I thought. I said, self, you're pretty sharp. Everybody else is bailing on Blockbuster, but here's what I know about Blockbuster that Netflix doesn't have. Blockbuster has stores, locations, physical places already all over the place So if they can adapt to this model of shipping their movies out and catching on with Netflix and these others, they've got a leg up because they already have the physical location, more places to distribute the videos from. Genius, I thought. So I gobbled up some 50 shares of Blockbuster. I won't tell you how much they were. It wasn't much. This wasn't a big, substantial investment we're talking about. And here's where I like to toot my own horn. You want to know how much that investment's worth today? Guesses? It's not worth any more than the paper that the coupons that I showed you was printed on. In fact, I think this might be a bit of a stretch, but I think a share of Blockbuster right now is going for about a tenth of a cent. So you can do the math and figure out how much that's worth, but it's pretty well worthless. Now, if you take 50 stocks of any other number of companies like Berkshire Hathaway, maybe class A shares, that would be a different story when a share is going for about $430,000 a piece, right? The point of all of this is that stock market, so many other things in life, the the value ebbs and flows, right? It, It increases, it decreases. The value of a thing, its worth is really, in a lot of cases, what we attach to it. That was probably... Uh, something that you're reminded of as you exchanged gifts. You might get a gift that you think somebody is going to love and you think it's so thoughtful and maybe it was even expensive and then somebody opens it and they're like, oh, thank you for this thing that I will use a lot and really appreciate, but honestly, they don't attach a whole lot of value to it. Worth changes. It's based on what value we ascribe to a thing, right? Right? And that's why this title, as we continue with this series, uh, What Child Is This? The title, Redeemer, matters because this is where we get our sense of 
worth. And we'll talk more about that this morning in the message. But I want to key in on this word redeemer, which we talked a little bit about in the children's sermon. Uh, To redeem something is a term that that even the secular world gets. We, We talk about somebody redeeming himself or herself. Really what we mean is that somebody has maybe done something wrong in their company or an organization or in a relationship they have. And what we mean when we talk about redeeming himself or herself is that somebody writes that wrong. Whatever they did, if, if, they, if they try to correct it, if they try to make up for it, we might assess or evaluate what they did and determine that they redeemed themselves, right? Now, you can do that in a secular sense where opinions vary and, and we might agree that somebody has put in enough hard work to redeem himself, But what we can do in the secular world, we cannot do before a holy, righteous God. We cannot redeem ourselves before God. The Bible even makes that clear in Psalm 48, or rather Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8. We're told very clearly, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. So while we can agree in the world to say that somebody did something to redeem himself, God makes it very clear, you cannot, I cannot, nobody can redeem himself before God. Why not? Well, let's go back to the the investment in, in Blockbuster. Let's say that a few years ago when I was looking to invest in Blockbuster, I sold you on what a great idea it was. And I said, well, I'm a little short on cash. Would you lend me maybe 10,000? Because I'm sure this is going to be big. Everybody else is bailing. It's going to take off. Give me 10,000 and then I'll share whatever the, the interest is when it skyrockets. And, and here we are 2021 and I, I, borrow that money from you and you're saying, hey, remember that $10,000 that you borrowed? I would actually like that back. And I have to explain to you, well, here's the thing, okay? I was pretty sure that was going to be a hot stock and it kind of tanked. So is it okay if I just pay you back in Blockbuster stock? Would that be all right if I pay your $10,000 back that way? And you would say, "Um, no, that's worthless. I would like my $10,000 plus interest please. Do you see why you wouldn't accept that payment? Because that stock would be worthless. Do you see why God cannot accept us or ourselves or anything we can do as payment? Because our sin has made us worthless. We are the problem. We are what is broken. We are what needs fixing. So we are incapable of redeeming ourselves before a holy, righteous God because we're worthless apart from him. But still we try. Still we try. If you, if you look outside of the realm of Christianity, in fact, every other organized religion basically says that very thing, that you can redeem yourself, that you can please God, that you can buy back good favor with him if you just try harder, if you're a better person, if you improve in life, if you do better today than you did yesterday, as long as the the scales tip in your favor, yes, we all do some bad things, just make sure that you do more good things than bad and you'll be fine. That's one approach. 
And we have to confess that sometimes that way of thinking also creeps into our hearts and minds as Christians. When we too quickly brush past the Jesus is my Savior part and then move into, but yes, I also have to live as a Christian. I have to go to church and I must go to Bible study and I must give an offering and I must serve at church. I have to do all of these things and be a good Christian. Otherwise, what Jesus did doesn't really count. Well, that's just as faulty, isn't it? And then, of course, the, the one that is, is growing in popularity, especially in our culture, in our country, is simply to deny that there is a God that we are even accountable to at all, in any way whatsoever. Then we don't need to be talking about this business of redeeming myself. I just tell myself he doesn't actually exist. Then I don't have to answer to anybody. Then I'm well and good. It's like the child that's playing hide-and-seek that that covers his eyes and presumes that because his eyes are covered, the person looking for them can't find them. The unbeliever, the atheist, is playing the same game. Because I refuse to acknowledge God or see him, he must therefore not exist and therefore I don't have to redeem myself, I don't have to answer to him. Well, that solution doesn't work either. So now we get into the words of Paul. And we understand why he wrote what he did and why he explained it the way he did, why Jesus had to be born into this world. Again, the words from Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, or adoption uh, of his children. The before we get to the, the explanation of being born under, uh, of a woman under the law to redeem those, the first phrase there, but when the time had fully come, that was Paul's way of acknowledging that, that when Jesus was born into this world, everything that God had orchestrated was just perfect. Everything that needed to be fulfilled up to that point had been fulfilled. Everything in the world was ideal for Jesus to be born in. And historically, as you study history, you recognize it was a pretty good time in a lot of ways. There was peace in the Roman Empire. There was a universal language that allowed this message of the gospel to spread rapidly. The the Romans built roads and transportation was as easy as it had ever been. So yes, it was an ideal time. It makes sense what Paul writes. But maybe, like me, you've, you've wondered to yourself, but in 2021... I mean, you look at the world around us, wouldn't, wouldn't now be an even better time? Because as good as things were maybe then when Jesus was born in the Roman Empire, haven't we advanced so much more today? Think of how easy it is to hop on a plane and travel. Think of how we can have Google Translate any language we want to. We have more means of communication than we have ever had for the gospel to spread. But the more I ponder that, all of these very things that would seem to be ideal factors for an argument that now would be the time for Jesus to be born also have a reason not to. Because all of the blessings of technology lead us to to wrestle with the question, are they serving us or are they enslaving us? The many means that we have to communicate have also resulted in the fact that we are absolutely inundated with information. Just this week and this month, you will receive and be inundated with more information than many people in Jesus' day in their entire lifetime. 
So maybe it actually would be easier, and, and if you've tried in witnessing or evangelism, realize the challenge of getting that message out, how easily it gets lost. So as you reflect, maybe, maybe Paul knew what he was talking about in, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote that the time had fully come. It was just right at that time. Now to why Jesus had to be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law. It, it maybe seems like common sense, but if you're going to rescue somebody, the, the way to do it is to rescue them from the ailment that they're suffering, from whatever problem they are faced with. For example, if you saw somebody drowning, you would not run to the hospital and ask for a stretcher. That's not going to help anybody who's drowning. If you broke a bone, it's not going to help to stick a Band-Aid on it. Depending on the problem, you have to have the right solution. So, if God was interested in saving, in rescuing fallen mankind from his sin and the consequence of sin, that meant that, that God himself had to get right down into the nitty-gritty and to enter into our world and to do what we could not, to be under the law, to keep the law perfectly for us so that he might adopt us into his family. See, the law on its own, all it does is crushes us under its weight of condemnation. That's all it can do, because all the law does is expose our sin and shows us for what we are, and the only conclusion is that we don't stand before a righteous, holy God. What we deserve is, is a very real hell. But Jesus came into this world to bear the law on, on his shoulders, to lift it up, to uphold it, to keep it, so that by his obedience, he could undo our disobedience. But if God was going to do that, he had to put himself under the law. Think of it this way. Uh, imagine that you are, are driving along and, and you get pulled over, and the officer points out that you were speeding and writes you a ticket for such and such amount of money. And your smart aleck kid in the back of the car says, boy, when I drive, I'm never getting pulled over. I'm going to have a perfect record. Just you wait. Well, that's a nice sentiment. But guess what? Your preteen or whatever age smart aleck kid uh, is in the back of the car doesn't actually have a chance to prove a clean or perfect driving record. Why? Because right now they are not bound to any laws that only apply to drivers. They're not old enough to drive, and they don't have a license to drive. Two requirements. So that smart aleck kid can't really prove the point until they're old enough to drive and then have a license to drive. Then, when they are bound by the law, then they could show, or not, how well they kept all of the driving laws. God is the Holy One who, who established and who gave us His laws. He is not bound by them. He's holy. He's perfect. But if he is going to show that perfect holy obedience, then he had to put himself beneath. He had to put himself under the law, which is why Paul says Jesus was born of a woman under the law so that he would be bound to it. And of course, we know that he, he did that very thing. He kept the law perfectly for us. And by his obedience, we have now had our status changed. Paul says that we were slaves, now we're sons and daughters. 
by his perfect obedience and by his willingness, not just to stop there, but to go to the cross to pay for all of the sins of our disobedience, we are not slaves anymore to sin and to death, but we are freed sons and daughters having been adopted into his family. That means that you have worth. See, just like the coupons that I I talked about in the, the children's message, apart from the work that Jesus came to do, we are are worthless. We're no more valuable than an expired coupon or a coupon that is never redeemed. But as Paul writes, he came into this world to redeem us. And take note of how effortlessly, how seamlessly Paul shifts from emphasizing, from pointing out the purpose for which Jesus came into this world and then the reality of it. He explains in the verses that I already read that his son was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In other words, here's the intent, here's God's purpose, that this might be the case if Jesus came to do this. And then in the very next verse, Listen to how he shifts. He says, because you are sons and daughters. Because you are heirs. So what he came to do so that you might be this, in the very next verse he says, you are. What is Paul saying? The very thing that that Jesus came into the world to do, he did. It happened. It's a reality. It's not something we're waiting for anymore that this might happen or we hope this happens. He says, you are no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters brought into and adopted into his family because he has redeemed you. He has attached a value, a worth to you that is beyond our comprehension. Stop and think about the value that God attaches to you. How could you put a price on the holy, innocent, precious blood of Jesus. It it is priceless. There's no way you can put a price tag on holiness and perfection because there's no metric by which to to price that, right? In in our world, we, we don't know that apart from Jesus. Now, if God took that and he said, I'm willing to pay that price for you, How much worth, how much value has he then placed on us to be willing to make that trade, to pay that price? You are invaluable to God. He treasures you, having adopted you into his family. And I love the way that the prophet Isaiah speaks of it. In chapter 43, verse 1, one of my favorite verses, Now, this is what the Lord says. Not the pastor, not some religious leader, not some expert. The Lord says this. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, we could replace that with believers or your own individual name. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That's the value that you have as a child of God. It's not your last name. It's not your your job title. It's not how much money you made. It's not who you know. It's not where you live. Your value, your worth, the Lord says, is that you're mine. 
And he's not talking the way the bad guy in a movie does when he's got the, the good guy cornered and he says, I, I've got you, you're mine now. No. This, this is the blessing of, of God promising to you that if he paid that high a price to make you his, and he did as our Redeemer, then you are worth more to him than you could ever possibly imagine. I don't even need to know the the list of gifts that you exchanged or unwrapped Christmas Eve or Christmas Day because I know that not one of them will ever measure up to the price of, of the gift that was given for you so that you could be of value and worth to God himself. May that assurance and confidence and joy of knowing how treasured we are by our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus, guide you not only through this Christmas season, but always in Christ Jesus. Amen. Merry Christmas.